I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel in my Christian faith that sometimes, you know, it seems that you're always kind of, kind of striving for the next step. And I just felt Holy Spirit wanted to say this morning, well done, that you're still standing. That's no mean feat. And that's probably less about us and more about Holy Spirit, right? But um, the fact that we're still standing is fantastic. So well done. Continue to stand. Um, you know, that's, that's what we're called to. And what's happening in our, in our world is not catching the Holy Spirit by surprise. You know, and there's chaos all around us, right? There's a few more of us in the 10.30 gathering this morning than there were at the 9, because there was a bit of chaos going on somewhere, and we're, we're, we're not going to um, talk about any rugby games or anything in this gathering. Um, you know, we look at Israel, and we see, you know, the chaos that's happening in that nation right now. But, you know, God is not intimidated by that. God's plans and purposes that started in Genesis will continue to Revelation. You know, God is on the throne, and as you and I stand day by day, and it's a day-by-day standing, right? As we continue to stand in the places that God's asked us to stand, something more of his redemptive purposes are being outworked. And my prayer is that from this message today, there will just come a confidence within you that Holy Spirit is at work. He's redeeming his creation, and we're part of that. Amen? I'm Michael, so it's lovely to be with you this morning. My wife Gillian's in the creche, which is dangerous because that means she that she can see and hear, but she can't um, have any influence over what I might say. So that's always that's always a good thing, isn't it? So fantastic. <laughs> Prophetically, this morning, um, the phrase that came to mind as, as I was praying into this gathering was, "You don't know what stands on the other side of your obedience." And I felt that's for some of us in the room, that theme of still standing. I don't know what situation you're in or where God's making, asking you to make a stand, but you don't know what stands on the other side of your obedience. I was thinking for me personally, um, I'm a third or fourth generation Christian in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and who knew for my, par- my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, who knew what their standing for Jesus would mean? And who knows, knows what my standing for Jesus will mean for the generations that follow me? So I just wanted to, I just felt Holy Spirit was wanting to encourage you that you standing is incredibly significant. Whatever generation you are, incredibly significant. So well done. And the illustration that came to mind, and I won't elaborate on this, is that, you know, with sports teams, often the team that is still standing at the end is the one that's able to do what needs to be done. And I have no clue what was done today, so we're not going there. Um, Thanks to Hannah, we've got some slides this morning. We've been looking at Ephesians chapter um, 6, verses 10 to 18, and Pastor Simon did a wonderful message uh, last Sunday night on the, on the, um, the shield of faith. It was a magnificent shield. I said to Simon, don't lose that. That thing's incredible. And I'm not going to go through and actually talk about the different um, parts of the spiritual armor. I really felt Holy Spirit as I was praying into this series that, the, that my gift to this series is just really talking from my own experience about how I'm 66 years old now, apparently. Sometimes I forget that. It tells me it happens at my age. Um, but, you know, I'm still standing. I'm still more in love with Jesus than I was, you know, when I started my Christian faith. I think I made my first decision when I was four. And um, so I want to share, I think the best gift I've got is just to share with you some experience of what's enabled me to stand. Um, I've been involved in ministry for over 33 years, leading churches around the nation, and probably less than half of the people that I started out with are still involved in ministry, and I'm sure Lance and others will have similar stories to tell. 
So why have I been able to stand? What lessons have I learnt? And uh, in this passage of Scripture, we're not going to go right through it, but I just want to alert you to, Paul is writing from, um, from prison in Rome. It's sometimes called the prison epistles because it's written from prison. And um, this is a circular letter, so he's writing to a number of churches. He's not just writing to one church, you know, addressing a particular situation. It's a letter that would have been written, uh, would have been written and read in many churches. And so in this passage of Scripture, he talks at least three times about the importance of being able to stand. He's really wanting us to get across at the end of the day. Um, and this is being written often to churches in persecution, speaking of which I'll just... Um, Set my clock now so that you don't suffer too much persecution uh, in the room or online. Um, so, you know, he's just wanting churches to understand in the midst of difficult times, standing is really important. And, and what does that look like? So with Hannah's help, um, verse 10, and we see just at the end of verse 11, we read, Put on the, all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. So good on you for standing firm against the strategies of the devil. I guess if I asked you to unpack that, you'd be able to tell me some stories of times when you felt the enemy came to kill, to rob, to steal, and destroy, but you stood firm. I think Holy Spirit wants to affirm you and say, well done, and you know the good thing about that? You'll get to practice that some more tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after. Uh, in the next slide, we go on, verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. There it is again. It really matters to be able to stand firm. Sometimes I think I grew up in the 70s and the kind of mindset then was there were wacky Christians around then, I'm sure there are wacky Christians around today, who were kind of, you know, going off the grid and um, stockpiling baked beans and other goods and, um, you know, getting weapons or whatever it was. And the, and the thought was, we're just going to hunker down that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, if you don't really know that phrase. So the, the world is, you know, becoming a horrible place. So we're just going to go off the grid and we're just going to wait it out until it's over. And uh, Christians were taking their kids out of school. Um, some Christians were deciding they weren't going to have any more children because the world is such a horrible place. We're not going to bring any more children into this world. We're just going to wait it out until it's over. And then, you know, Jesus is going to come again and he's going to rapture us out of here and we'll be the remnant that goes to heaven for all of eternity. Well, I want to say to you this, some of those people, it's been a long wait. 1970, and what is it, 2023? How many years is that? It's been a long time. Some of those people, if they're still in their bunkers, I think they would have run out of baked beans by now. And I want to share with you this morning that God's plan of redemption is that you and I are still standing and we're part of that redemptive plan. We're not just to kind of wait it out, you know, and, and preserve some sort of divine revenant. We're to be the salt that brings out God's flavor. And how does flavor come out unless you get it out of the salt shaker, right? And we're to be the color, you know, that wonderful passage, isn't it, of, in the Message Bible about God's salt that brings out flavor and, and um, color that brings out God's creativity in our midst. And tomorrow, you and I get that opportunity to be some salt that brings out God's flavor wherever we are, to, to bring some color into the world that reveals something of God's redemptive purposes and hope for the world in which we live. I want to say to us this morning, um, I'm glad that we all voted, but it, it doesn't really matter what the government looks like in terms of God's redemptive purposes. God will work it out, and I trust in his providence it has come together. You know, the right people are in the right place for God to work out his redemptive purposes. 
But we don't need to be despondent of who you were voting for didn't get in. You think, oh, how's God going to bring out about his plans and purpose? God's big enough. He'll work out his plans and purposes. And just to give us confidence in that. And uh, at the end there um, of verse 13, talks about after the battle, you'll be standing firm. So a theme that comes through in that passage of Scripture, if we can skip to the fifth slide, I think it is Hannah, it says, Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for believers everywhere. That's a great um, unpacking of what standing firm looks like, isn't it? Praying in the Spirit at all times. I remember when my dad had broken his hip, we're on holiday with him, he was a diabetic, and um, and they said to him, look, Mr. Brown, you've only got a 50-50 chance of coming through this operation. I've told this story before in Rotorua Hospital. And just really praying in the spirit and saying, and, and dad, mum and dad talking about it said, well, I love Jesus. I, if I don't have this operation, I'll be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. If I, if I don't, um, you know, if I die, I go to heaven. Um, if I come through the operation, I've got mobility. But it doesn't make it any easier, eh, when you're walking the, the, the corridors. And they seem long corridors in Rotorua Hospital. I don't know if they're longer than any other hospital, but they seem long to me. And you're walking them, and you're praying in tongues, and then you're praying in English, and then you're praying in tongues. But just to know in that time that, you know, God works out his plans and purposes. Being persistent, praying in the Spirit, staying alert, so important. Last time when I, I talked about the subject of still standing with three um, insights that I shared from my life experience. I'm just going to recap these quickly. The message is online so you can unpack it further if you didn't hear it last time. The first was about experiencing the unconditional love of God. Um, I, I said in the 9am this morning that as a parent, I don't know whether you've done this, but I've done this with our kids, and our kids are old now. Um, our daughter's, um, how old is our daughter, Jillian? 29, and uh, our son's 32. And, um, you know, we sometimes remember saying to our daughter in particular, I don't love, I don't know what your parents ever said, have your parents ever said this to you? I don't love your behavior right now, but I love you. Your, but my love for you is never in question. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's still working in the current generation, right? Parents haven't changed that much. But it's important to know that. I felt God said that to me sometimes. Michael, I'm not appreciating your behavior right now, but my love for you is never in question. It's a journey to understand the unconditional love of God. And I want to encourage you, if you're not there yet, that's okay. It's a journey. You need revelation about that. You can't fake it until you make it. But there was a point, you know, when we had a revelation of God's unconditional love for us in the midst of what was going on in our family at that time. And when you've got that, it puts some steel into you, helps you to stand in the midst of what you're going through. Doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for wrong behavior. Doesn't mean that you don't need boundaries from unhealthy people. All of those things are true. And you can listen to the message and it's unpacked. The second point was choosing not to live in independence. You know, there's part of us that we love to live in independence, isn't there? It's like me, you know, if, if I'm going to paint my house and um, someone will say, oh, Michael, why don't, you, why don't you get people to come and help you? Then what's going through my mind? Oh, it'd be great to have people to come and help me, but what happens if they don't paint my house like I want it painted? Am I the only person who thinks like that? Am I the only redeemed sinner in the room? And you need wisdom with that, right? Because there are some things that it's probably better to do on your own. Like, I'm not sure that I would have faith to believe for painting of my house with just anyone. But trimming a hedge, you can't go too far wrong with that. They'll grow again, right? But we need to learn what it is to choose not to live in independence. We talked about the parable of the prodigal son. 
about how the youngest son wanted his independence, but when he lost all the wealth, he lost all of his inheritance, he came back to his father with a real dependence and understood in a new way the father's love. The older son continued in his independence and never really understood that the father's inheritance was that the father's love might be made known to the world. The younger son came to experience that. The older son never did because he lived in his independence. And you and I need to learn what it is. What does it mean for us to live in dependence with God and interdependence with one another? And the third thing I shared last time is laying aside an attitude of entitlement. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks like this, but sometimes I think, oh God, just give me a break. Why is it that Lance has it so much easier than I do? You know? You never found yourself thinking like that? Why is it like this for someone else, but it's like this for me? And just trusting that God is big enough in that situation to meet me in the midst of my brokenness, my answered prayers, and to take me on from there. And we saw in the... um, in the, in the temptations of Jesus in Matthew 4, that the devil was really tempting him with, with questions that were really talking about his entitlement. Jesus, I'll give you the nations of the world, the devil says. Well, the nations of the world were Jesus anyway. It was just a matter of timing. And Jesus' response in, in verse 10 is, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's dangerous when you and I think, God, I'm entitled to this. Have you ever found, I've found myself saying, God, you owe me. Hey, am I the only person who's ever said that in the room? It's gone very quiet in here, online. You were very quiet online to begin with, to be honest, but maybe it's even gone quieter online, I'm not sure. I want to share this morning three other insights about how do we remain, from my experience, and I hope this will be helpful, I I felt... um, I had a, a prophetic word from someone, who was it? I can't remember. It might have been um, Wayne Swift or it, it might have been um, someone else who said, Michael, at your stage of life, the big thing, best thing you can do is to tell stories about you know, what God has done in your life. So I'm picking up on that mandate this morning. The first thing I want to share this morning is um, don't become distracted. Don't become distracted. Keep the main thing the main thing. Can I say this? Why are Christians so into conspiracy theories? Why are we, myself included? You know, whether it's politics, whether it's vaccinations, whether it's global warming, and why is it that we want to turn these, um, you know, these these uh, opinions that we have, we want to turn them into doctrines? You know, they're not doctrines; they're just opinions. I don't really mind whether you believe. I got sick of arguing with my Christian friends about global warming, so I took a new tact. I say, well, do you want to have microplastic in your fish? So let's just talk about pollution instead. You know, whether you believe the planet's warming or not warming, I don't want microplastic in my fish. Who wants microplastic in their fish? We're all agreed, right? So let's do something about pollution, and then maybe we'll conquer the other things as well. But, we, you know, we turn them into doctrinal issues, and they're only really matters of opinion. And I believe this has been... You know, one of the things that the enemy has used since the beginning, and we're going to have a look at some, has used distraction. Keep the main thing the main thing. Pastor Nick Klinkenberg, who um, used to be the pastor way back in the days when it was East Side, I remember he had a little, and he used to be a printer. He grew up in Levin, by the way, which is where I come from. See, lots of people come from Levin. I keep on saying it. And uh, just for the record, Levin's going to be a city. I keep saying that now too. So, um, and he used to print these little cards, you know, keep the main thing the main thing. Because so often we get distracted. 
So I want to share with you three scriptures this morning that for me talk about the essence of what God's redemptive purpose is all about that would help us to focus on the main thing being the main thing. The first is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. The Lord said to Abraham, uh, Abraham, leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. We're blessed through Abraham's descendants, and we are to be a blessing. And I really felt as I was putting this message together to say thank you for those people who have come. Who's come from other nations to our nations this morning? There's quite a few of you. I really felt Holy Spirit was saying, and Michael was saying, because it's always a mixture, isn't it? You know, on a good day, it's 80, 20. So I'm believing for 80% Holy Spirit, 20% of Michael. On a bad day, it could be 80% of Michael, 20% of the Holy Spirit. But I really believe Holy Spirit is saying, thank you for your obedience, because I know some of your stories. And the reason you came to this nation is you really felt Holy Spirit taking you from another nation to come to our nation. And in the process, you are here to, re to further God's redemptive purposes for our nation. And in the process, you will be blessed. And we want to say thank you this morning. In fact, I wasn't planning to do this, but I think we should give you a clap this morning. Can we do that? Yeah. If you did that online this morning, we're going to give you a silent clap just with our hands because you, you couldn't hear it anyway. So there we go, a silent clap for you online. And some of us are going to be called to go from this nation to the nations of the world. Why? So that God's redemptive purposes might be carried out there. And in the process of that, you will be blessed. Pastor Sheridan spoke last week, didn't he, about Indonesia. There are hundreds of unreached people groups in Indonesia. And some of us will be called to go to other nations um, to reach some of those people groups so that God's redemptive purposes will be extended. The second scripture I want to share with you this morning about keeping the main thing the main thing, about staying focused on God's redemptive purposes, is the great commandment. You'll be familiar with all of these scriptures. The reason I'm going over them again is not because you don't know them, but let it be the focus that focuses what we're doing. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 39 to 40, the great commandment. Remember, Jesus was asked, wasn't he? And it was a trick question. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets will be based on these two commandments. When we love, when I love God with everything within us, when we love our neighbors as ourselves, something of God's redemptive purposes are outworked for our nation and for the nations of the world. That's really hard to do, you know, if I'm out of favor because of someone who won a rugby match, or if I'm out of favor with someone because they believe in vaccines and I don't believe in vaccines, or if I'm out of favor because I voted one color and someone else voted another color. All of those things are fine, but we have to come together to work together for the sake of redeeming God's redemptive purposes for the nation. And so we've been reminded this morning, keep the main thing the main thing, because the devil comes to kill, to rob, to steal, and destroy. And the number one enemy, uh, the number one weapon in his arsenal is distraction. Don't be distracted. And the third scripture is Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. 
Then Jesus came and told the disciples, all author- all, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, friends, we're called to be proactive and not reactive. God is big enough to work out his prophetic plans and purposes for this nation and the nations of the world. And as we share, as we love our neighbors ourselves, as we share something of our story and God's story, we're part of that prophetic work that God started in Genesis and continues to Revelation. I want to show you a a photo this morning, if we can have that please, Hannah. Gillian and I had the privilege, my wife Gillian and I, being in Israel four years ago. Probably good that we're in Israel four years ago, right? And not in Israel at the moment, as people are trying to get out. And um, you'll see the Dome of the Rock. The Dome of the Rock is that gold-colored um, structure. And it's, it's a Muslim mosque that's built on the site of the first and second temple, the most holy place for Jewish people. And uh, Jerusalem is on a rise. You kind of go down into a valley, and then you kind of walk up to Jerusalem. And um, we're going to read together in a moment one of the Psalms that the pilgrims ascending Jerusalem would have recited together. And uh, it'll be on the screen so we all say the same words together, otherwise it might be more creative than I intended. And, um, you know, they would have come from all sorts of places. Some of them would have been exiled in different nations. Some of the Jews who lived in Jerusalem would probably think, oh, you know, Josh and his tribe, you know, they're in Babylon. You know, they're not really in God's favor because they were exiled. You know, we've been looking after the holy city. You know, we're the ones that God's entrusting. And so people come from all different places with all different sorts of agendas. But as they came together and they walked up the hill into Jerusalem and they recited the words of the psalm we're going to recite, they would remember that they come together in unity. They come together in humility. And that's one of the things that really impressed me when we were in Israel uh, four years ago was a sense that there's so many things happening. You know, there's such a, a hodgepodge of things happening, but there's still an amazing unity in that place for God's purposes and plans. And so, Hannah, if we can, we'll start reading together from verse 1, because the first line is just a title, so we don't need to read that. So, so shall we read this together? And just picture in your mind, you're walking down into the valley, you're walking up into Jerusalem, You've come for one of the festivals. Maybe it's Passover. Maybe it's the Feast of Trumpets or Tabernacles or whatever. But you've come together to worship as Jewish people from all over the world. And and you've come from different places. You've all got your own agendas. But as you come into Jerusalem and you recite the words of the psalm, you remember what you're unified to do. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was proud over Aaron's head and ran down his beard and into the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew of Mount Hermon and falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord pronounces blessing and life forevermore. Great, thank you. You did better than I did. And I've had two goes at it. But you can sense, can you sense, can you picture how they came together in unity as they recited that together? And I believe Holy Spirit at this time is wanting us to be united together. And what are the plans and purposes of God? 
Friends, it's to love God, it's to love others, it's to share your story. It's to go into all the world and preach the gospel. As Christians, this is not a time for kind of sitting in your foxhole, waiting for the hand grenades to stop being lobbed over, and then coming out smelling of smoke and saying, God, I'm the righteous remnant, beam me up. This is the time when we're to go into all the world with the message of Jesus. You know, in the Middle Ages, when they had plagues and they would shut a village because there was no way, no antibiotics, right? So you just let the plague run its course and maybe, I don't know, 80% of the people in that, in that walled village, that walled city would die. Before the doors were closed, Christians would rush in, knowing that they might never come out again, knowing that some of them would die in the process. But they went in with the love of Jesus and in the process shared their faith. You know, Christian brothers and sisters, the first missionaries went to Africa and they packed their belongings in coffins because they never expected to come home. They expected to be buried in that place as they took the good news of Jesus. Friends, what does it look like for us today to be proactive in taking the good news of Jesus into a lost and broken and hurting world? It's certainly not about squabbling over conspiracy theories or pandemics or political elections. And I encourage us to keep the main thing, the main thing. The second thought I want to share this morning is, the second thought about standing is to listen to your God-given conscience. You know, your conscience is that intuitive part of you, isn't it? I always use the illustration, you're probably sick of it now, but my conscience um, revolves around sausages in the fridge that Gillian said, um, those sausages, you know, they're for tomorrow night's dinner, don't eat them. And I find myself opening the door of the fridge and kind of reaching out for that sausage and hearing Gillian's voice in my head saying, those sausages are for tomorrow night's dinner. And of course, I pull back or I grab it and scoff it quickly. You know, it could go either way, couldn't it? But you know, the, the conscience is like that. It's the intuitive part of us. But we are unique amongst God's creation and that we're able to do the plans and purposes of God because God's DNA we're created in God's image. Something of God's DNA is within us. And part of that is the human conscience. Most Christians I talk to, they don't have a trouble with knowing what is right or what is wrong. It's just a matter of whether I'm going to be obedient to what is right. That's the struggle for most of us. In Genesis chapter, tw uh, chapter 1, verse 26, thanks Hannah, we read, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our own image, be in our likeness. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. You've been created. There's something of, the D, of God's DNA within you. And it manifests itself, especially in the area of the conscience. And the, and the thing with the conscience is, if, if you don't do what your conscience says, it's just that much harder to do what the conscience says the second time. So um, I chose Josh. I'll choose a different Josh in this gathering, but... But say I did something and I knew I should just apologize to Josh. But I said, blow it all, I'm not going to. And then I did something else. It must have been a bad day. <laughs> and I offended him again. I thought, I should really apologize to Josh. But you know, if I didn't, wasn't obedient to the, the property of my conscience the first time, who knows it's a bit harder to do it the second time? And if I didn't do it a second time, who knows it'd be a bit harder to do the third time? And we talk about our conscience being seared in that area. And it's like that for all of us. And God wants us to be sensitive. One of the best ways that we remain standing is to be sensitive to, to God speaking to us through our conscience. Michael, it's not the right thing. The, the hard thing is that sometimes God will challenge me about stuff that he's not challenging Josh about. 
But you know, it's what God's challenging me about and just trusting that God knows what is right for me is so important. In Genesis um, chapter 2 and verses 15 to 18, the Lord placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord warned him, you may eat freely from the tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruits, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And then the enemy comes, isn't he? He said, oh, did God really say that? Michael, do you really need to say sorry to Josh? He's a, he's a strong man. It doesn't make any difference to him. He doesn't need to hear your apology. You don't need to waste his time. It'd be so embarrassing. You have to humble yourself. That can't be good for you. He might think less of me if I knew I'd thought evil thoughts about him or whatever, which I haven't. You know, just the searing of the human conscience is just a, a subtle, subtle thing, isn't it? The Ten Commandments are still our moral compass. You know, the, Jesus said that all the law, so we're talking about the first five books of the Old Testament, were fulfilled if we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. If you want to see what that looks like, have a look at the, at the Ten Commandments. They still point us in the right direction as far as making decisions are concerned. Sometimes people ask me, well, how can I trust my conscience? And I always ask myself these two questions. How can I trust my conscience? My conscience is saying I should apologize to Josh. Is this honoring to God? Would it be honoring to God for me to apologize to Josh? Would this help me and others take steps towards Jesus? I think it would. So Josh, I'm terribly sorry for whatever I said to you that I shouldn't have said. <laughs> and if I haven't said anything that I would, should have said that I haven't said, let this be in advance in case I do in the future. <laughs> the third thought I want to leave with you this morning is this. Understand that time is a gift and not a master. We live in a, live in a world, don't we, where busyness is like a badge of honor. I remember sometimes, you know, going to pastor's meetings and it was like, oh, whoever was the busiest was, was, you know, the one that God was blessing the most. Oh, you know, I'm working 60 hours a week. Oh, you're only working 60 hours a week. I did 72 last week. Oh, you're only doing 72. I'm going, I did 80 or whatever. You know, I don't know whether it's still like that, but there's still a sense in which busyness can be a badge of honor. Got another picture for you. Thank you, Hannah. These are our grandchildren. This is Harry in the front and Ollie in the back and um, there was some debate in the 9am but I think we got it right, they're sitting on top of a rhinoceros um, at Hamilton Zoo, it's not a real rhinoceros it's made of bronze and that's how big a rhinoceros would be at 10 days old apparently and um, we had them staying with us for a few days after the X conference and Ollie said to me, he said, Grandpa will you build a garage for my spaceship with the Lego and um, I found myself thinking I don't know whether I can really be bothered. You know, I don't know if I've got the bits and pieces to make a garage. Well, it's not a garage anyway, Ollie. It's a hangar, you know, to make a garage for the spaceship. And in that moment, I just caught myself and I thought, Grandpa, you've got the gift of time. Build the garage. You know, more than anything else, God is not impressed with our busyness, with my busyness and your busyness. God wants time. And intimacy of relationship and being still able to stand in our relationship with God comes out of spending time with God. Some of you know I used to be an orchardist, and as an orchardist, um, you know, the summer um, going into the autumn was the busiest time of the harvest. And then after that, we'd move into the winter, and that would be a time of doing the winter cleanup in the orchard, doing the pruning, the spraying, and the mowing. 
And then there was a brief time towards the end of the winter before the beginning of, of spring. And that would be a time when you could rest if you knew what the seasons were. And then in spring, there would be flowering and there would be bud set and fruit set and then the cycle would continue. And friends, there are times in life when life is just busy. Some of you will be in seasons now. It's just a busy season and that's okay. That's part of life. But amongst the busyness, there also need to be times of rest. And I want to—I feel—I want to ask you this morning. I feel Holy Spirit saying, "Where are the times of rest amongst your busyness?" I want to encourage you, maybe just to stop today and think about that. Maybe for just five or ten minutes, where are your times of rest? This busy season for the harvest that you're going to enjoy. What does actually enjoying the harvest look like for you? Maybe when you stop for five or ten minutes to do this, you'll say, you'll write in your journal or somewhere, I don't know where my time of rest is. And that's okay. But make a note in your diary to come back seven days later and ask the question again. Am I any closer to understanding what rest in my time in my life looks like? Because rest builds intimacy, right? Builds relationship. Enables you to stand in the midst of the difficult times. I love Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30 from the Message Bible. If you can have that, please, Hannah. Are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What does it look like for you and I to learn to live freely and lightly? There's a delightful word in the Hebrew language. It's called adovar. And it's this, the, work is, the word is described as work, but also worship. How does work and worship go together for us in the busyness of our life? We've talked about three insights this morning. Hannah will put them on the screen for us. How do you remain standing? Don't become distracted. Keep the main thing the main thing. Listen to your God-given conscience. I believe that's the number one thing that God's given you to help you to continue to stand. Understand that time is a gift and not a master. I'm constantly challenged by the idea that God has given me enough time to do what he's called me to do. So when I haven't got enough time, what is it I'm doing that God never asked me to do? And I want you to um, think about these three questions. And please, just choose one of them. I'm, I'm just believing that maybe one of these questions will resonate with you to think about during this coming week. What stands on the other side of your obedience? I wonder what that looks like for you. Second question, are you so focused on winning an argument that you could lose what is of eternal significance? Just feel Holy Spirit, a word of knowledge for someone that applies to your family. You're so focused on winning a, an argument in your family that you're actually going to miss what's of eternal significance. Feel Holy Spirit saying, leave the argument, build the relationship. And lastly, how would being purpose with time make you less vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy? Maybe take a note of those. Don't choose all three. I don't want to give you indigestion. <laughs> Just choose one and ponder on it this week.